Esquire, heard daily on Bible School Radio 91.3, KDKR, Decatur, Dallas-Fort Worth, and on 91.3 KYJC Commerce. Portions of KDKR programming do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or staff. Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3. Well, the IRS's collection activity is starting back again. What you need to know. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much uh, for uh, listening today. You know I do appreciate it. Today, uh, Dan Pilla is supposed to be coming on the program, and we're going to talk about the uh, what he calls the collection machine of the IRS. What what's been going on with that for the past three three and a half to four? Well, actually three three to three and a half years and uh, get you caught up on what to do if you find yourself in that situation. So we'll be uh, talking to him hopefully here in just a second, uh, waiting on him to call in. And uh, if you've got a question for me, please go to the website. It's there for you as a resource. You can either send a question into the Ask Bob section and uh, get your question answered that way, or there's a place to place a, uh, a block, a 20, 15, 20 minute uh, block of time on my calendar and we can talk by phone. Sometimes you just can't get uh, everything taken care of in email. So all of that is referenced as re- resources there for you at prudenttraining.com and uh, there uh, to help you get navigate uh, through some of the things you have to navigate when it comes to money. Speaking of which, Dan Pilla is on the line today. Hey, Dan, how's it going? I'm well, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm doing good. You know, it's interesting. You shot me a uh, an article from your monthly newsletter, which you can get uh, information on taxhelponline.com, and you're talking about the fact that the collection machine, as you love to call it, of the IRS has been uh, in hiatus for a while. Now it's coming back. I didn't even know it was, uh, but uh, talk a little bit about how we got got where we are today and why the IRS made that move. Well, yeah, Bob, it comes as a surprise to a lot of people because what happened is the IRS's collection machine basically shut down in uh, in probably May of 2020. You you remember that whole COVID thing, Bob, that swept the country? <laughs> do, you, do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, well in, in May of 2020, the IRS closed down its operations. It might have been, uh, yeah, it was probably May of 2020. And very quickly, they became overwhelmed with incoming mail, people responding to notices, filing their tax returns, so on and so forth. And before they knew it, there were millions of unopened letters piled up in the various service centers around the country. So as as part of the means of dealing with that, and partly as a means of giving some relief to people during the COVID situation, the I... The IRS uh, shut down its 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 uh, its collection notices. It stopped mailing out a number of collection notices during that period of time, 
And so then what happened? So this, is, this I think, was probably, let's just say July of 2020. They stopped mailing a, a certain series of notices. And then in about a year later, in August of 2021, with the backlog not getting any better and, in fact, getting worse, they shut down a whole family of collection notices, stopped mailing them all together to people. And that continued, Bob, for quite a while. So people that owed taxes to the IRS simply were not getting collection notices notices from the agency and as far as they knew the you know the IRS just disappeared and I guess I don't have a problem anymore it just went away well that wasn't the case at all cuz penalties and interest continue to accumulate even there even during the period of time the notices were shut down well that's changed so now as of January of 2024 the IRS has started up its collection machine again and it's going to be back in the face of taxpayers with the various collection notices asking for money can you only imagine how much has accrued in penalties and interest? And I just got to thinking about that. You don't want to get into the, is this fair or not fair? But, I mean, it, if you're, you're completely taking away the opportunity for uh, the collection process to, to, to work itself out. And uh, so, you know, people are going, well, we'll just sit, I'll just wait until they come back online or whatever they're going to do. And they're just those penalties and interest just got to be enormous. Yeah, no question about it. Now, there's some good news here. And the good news is that the IRS recognized what you just said. Now, believe it or not, somebody in the agency had the common sense to acknowledge that if the collection machine was shut down and people were all hunkered down because of this COVID thing, maybe there should be some penalty relief. Somebody actually thought of that. And so here's what they've done, Bob. They've made the they've made the administrative decision that they're going to go back and abate penalties for failure to pay that accrued during that period of time from when the IRS was shut down in in summer of 2020 up through basically the end of December of 2023. So there is going to be some penalty relief there, no question about it. But the, but the but it's it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's 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 not it's not as great as it sounds. It's something. It's good. It's better than nothing. But in order to get the full benefit of that of that abatement, that administrative abatement, the taxes owed for the delinquent years have to be paid by end of April of 2024. So you know, if there's a small amount of liability, maybe you can do that. If there's a substantial liability, then uh, you know the relief is going to be just temporary. So what about, take, take a situation where you have somebody who uh, did not pay by April 15th. They were levied the uh, penalties of a failure to, to pay. And then they happen to get it paid by, let's just say, by the extension deadline of October. And uh, do they get any of, that, any of that money back or is that, or are they kind of exempt from that? Well, I think that I think the uh, the the uh, administrative relief that I looked at did did not cover any scenario that where, where the taxpayer actually paid the tax within that period of time. We're talking about those that have unpaid liabilities sure, sure. Uh, that, that are that are in this window here that we're talking about. And again, it's 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 something. It's better than nothing. But it, but the only way you're going to fully benefit from that is to full pay by the end of April of 2024. In your article, you write, it's, it's the right thing for the wrong reason. Talk a little bit about that. Well, the, 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 
what I mean by that, Bob, is, is it's obviously the right thing to grant penalty relief. And as I point out in the article, I'm in favor of penalty relief for any reason anybody can think of and a few reasons that people can't think of. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in favor of penalty relief, all right? But, but, the, but I say the wrong reason. And, and, and the reason I say the wrong reason is because what, what is primarily driving the philosophy in the IRS to grant penalty relief is the fact that they couldn't process incoming mail. They were overwhelmed with incoming mail. And in order to cut down on the incoming mail and to give themselves an opportunity to get the incoming mail process that they did have, they stopped sending outgoing mail. All right, so the primary driver in shutting down the notices was not the fact that half of America or more than half of America was suffering financial hardship as a result of all these uh, shutdown orders that the various local governments issued. What was driving it primarily was the idea that the IRS was overwhelmed and couldn't catch up with its mail processing. So that's why I say it's the right thing for the wrong reason. It's the right thing, yes, grant penalty relief, people need penalty relief, but the IRS, in my opinion, should have have acknowledged that Americans were suffering hardship during this period of time, and most of the tax liabilities that are owed, Bob, for tax years 2020, 2021, probably 2022, are attributable to COVID problems, not IRS processing problems. So that's what they should have recognized. Now, uh, the IRS did issue some, some relief in uh, in the summer of 2022, the IRS acknowledged that it was going to grant administrative penalty relief for people who failed to file tax returns for tax years 2019 and 2020. All right, those returns would have been due right in the teeth of COVID, right? Right. And so the IRS acknowledged that we've got these COVID problems out there. We've got this uh, disaster declaration that was issued by the president in March of 2020, and that led to all these government orders shutting down the economy all across the United States. And the IRS recognized that those problems caused hardship. Well, why didn't they acknowledge the same thing with failure to pay that they acknowledged with failure to file? That's what disturbs me about this. In your, uh, in your article, you write that they send out a special reminder letter and uh, give ways to pay. It sounds like a kinder IRS. Well, what they're doing, Bob, is, is part of this whole process is what they call their simple notice initiative. What they're trying to do, and I, and I frankly, I think this is a good idea, and I wrote the commissioner of IRS a letter here last week and, and acknowledged that this is a good idea, that they are simplifying notices. They've started an entire project of going through their system-wide um, uh, library of notices that they use. There are about, believe it or not, Bob, there's about 200 different notices that the IRS uses to communicate with taxpayers. And those 200 notices are responsible for 170 million letters going out to taxpayers uh, last year anyway. And, of course, it goes up and the number goes up every year. So the IRS is going through this library of notices and they're simplifying the language of the notices and the communication techniques and the style of presentation which, frankly, is very, very long overdue. These notices are confusing, and they're intimidating. And so one of the first notices on the list, the very first one on the list, is this letter 38. We're seeing that being issued by the IRS right now. So some of your listeners may have gotten a letter 38 from the IRS, and they want to know what that is. Well, that's an annual reminder notice. It's the, it's the notice that the IRS is required by law to send out to taxpayers 
if the IRS has not had collection contact with the taxpayer in a year, they are required to send this notice out that says, Dear taxpayer, in case you have forgotten that we've messed up your life with this, with this delinquent tax liability you owe, here's your reminder that you owe us money. And so it's the, it's the IRS's way of <laughs> hanging a bell around your neck <laughs> that, that follows you around. That follows you around <laughs> if you owe money so that you have this constant reminder, Bob, that these people right. are in your life and on your back. So uh, here, here's my question, and uh, you and I have been doing radio together for over 20 years. This could be the very first time that, that you actually said something kind about the IRS and sent a letter of encouragement. So I'm, I'm very proud of you from where you come from. Well, thank you, Bob, for that. Now, as far as, <laughs> as, far as being kind to the IRS, I, 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 first of all, I sent a four-page letter to the commissioner, and it was only the opening paragraph that was that was kind. All right, the, the, it's the, a first the, step. The, the, <laughs> it is a first step. I at least I admit I have a problem. All right, so that <laughs> is the, right. that is the first step to to a resolution. So I, I went on in my letter and I pointed out a couple of things. The first thing that I pointed out is that here we are in 2024, and the IRS has now started a notice simplification project. Okay, that's the good news. The bad news is that since 1988, Bob, how long ago is that? 1988. Congress has directed the Internal Revenue Service on no fewer than four separate occasions to communicate with taxpayers in, quote, simple and non-technical terms, unquote. And it's taken them until 2024 to get on the stick and start getting this moving. So, so I pointed that out to the commissioner. The next thing I pointed out to the commissioner is that one particular series of letters that the IRS uses, their final notice of intent to levy letters, there's three different letters they use to communicate this to the taxpayer. It's called a statutory notice. They're required by law to send it out. I pointed out that the, that the letters are confusing and the letters are, are uh, multiplicitous. In other words, they're using three letters to communicate one message. And I also pointed out to the commissioner that the letters are using incorrect and incomplete information. In other words, they're misleading taxpayers as far as what the law requires the letter to say. So I pointed this out to the commissioner in great detail that when they simplify these notices, they have to address these two problems. And then, Bob, to cap it all off, I offered my services to the office of the commissioner <laughs> to help him rewrite all of his letters. I'll so, bet you did. <laughs> so, so, so we'll see. Now, I sent that letter off. I said last week, I'll give you the date here. I sent the letter off on uh, on February the 6th. So wh when was that? A week ago? A uh, week yeah. and a half ago? Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's been about a week. And I haven't heard anything back yet. I sent it priority mail, so I know they have it. But uh, I, have, I, haven't gotten a, I haven't gotten a phone call from the commissioner's office yet. We'll, well see what happens. You'll have to keep us posted for sure. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if you want more information on Dan, a great website, excellent resources, taxhelponline.com. Uh, now, this uh, this uh, suspension of le of uh, notices it was uh, for CP five hundred one, five hundred three, and five hundred four. Why those particular? Co I don't know if you call those codes or, or labels or whatever you'd call it. Categories, maybe. Yeah, they're they're yeah. The, the CP stands for for computer paragraph. And so they've got these. They've got this library of, form, of of notices, as I said, 200 of them. 
and and they 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 just punch up the computer which one is the CP501 CP503 CP504 now you ask why those notices okay yes, those notices are the preliminary collection notices that the IRS uses when a taxpayer has a liability so it, it, let, let's say you file your tax return for tax year 2021 and you owe the IRS 5 grand all right the first thing they do is they send you a notice it's a CP14 and that is a, an adjustment to your account. That letter says, you're Mr. Smith. Uh, you, you know, we, we've made an assessment of tax against you. Uh, you owe $5,000 and, uh, and, you know, we want you to send in the money. All that is, is, all that is, is an adjustment notice, an account statement, if you will. It's not a collection letter. They ask for the money, obviously, and they give you a date to pay it by. But it's not a final notice date. It's just a date that says if you pay by X date, then there's no additional penalties and interest. This is the full payment amount by X date. All right, so that's the first letter you get. Now, if you don't respond to that letter within about 90 days, then the collection notices start with the CP501, 503, and 504. And those are progressively more stern in their language saying, hey, you owe us money, you haven't paid, you better get moving here, the penalties and interest are running. And then the CP504 is a notice to, to levy a state tax refund, right? That, too, is not a final notice that allows them to levy a paycheck or a bank account, but it does allow them to levy or offset a state tax refund. So the letters get more progressively stern in their language, and those are the ones that people respond to in writing. And they'll call the IRS on the phone or they'll write a letter, and they'll say, you know, I got this CP503 notice and I can't pay the money. You know, what do I do? And so they get, they get this, uh, this, this barrage, Bob, of incoming mail in response to these collection notices of taxpayers seeking help with their with their delinquency problem and that's the reason the IRS stopped sending those out during the covid period is because they were getting this mountain of responses that they couldn't deal with they couldn't they couldn't uh, they couldn't reply to them they couldn't handle them because the IRS was shut down and overloaded with uh, with documents well, it would seem to me that the mass mailing of collection notices is just going to create a log, a log jam of another kind, don't you think? Well, actually, when the IRS is up and running and functioning properly, it, it, it really doesn't do too badly because, first of all, most people will call the IRS, and if you call the IRS and you get set up with, uh, with automated collection, if you can get through on the phone, which is a whole other right. discussion and a whole other problem, you know, then they can, then people can get some direction. To the extent that you owe the IRS under $10,000, it's a pretty easy process. If you owe the IRS north of 10000 especially if you owe them north of 50000 then it can be very, very problematical, no question about that. The, the notices that really cause the problems, Bob, is the final notice. I alluded to this when I was talking about my letter to the commissioner. The final notice letter is the letter that's required by law before the IRS can levy a paycheck or a bank account or they can seize an automobile or any kind of property. They have to send this final notice, notice of intent to levy and notice of your right to a hearing. This is the one that's really confusing to taxpayers. It's really terrifying to people because of the, you know, the notice title itself, final notice of intent intent to levy. And this is the one that provides incorrect information compared to what the law requires it to provide. And this is the one that causes the concern. So if you, uh, if you get contacted by the IRS in, this, in the collection process, what steps do you take? 
Well, if, if you're contacted in the early collection process, if we're talking about the uh, you know CP501, 503, 504 letters, and you owe a relatively small amount of money and you can pay through an installment agreement, then the recommended strategy is to get that installment agreement set up. There's two ways to do that. You can go online, the IRS's website, irs.gov, and there's a link there to set up an installment agreement. Or you can call the phone number on the notice, which is the ACS, Automated Collection Centers, or sites, rather, ACS, Automated Collection Sites, and the phone operators can set up an installment agreement over the phone. Pretty easy to do if you owe less than ten grand. If you owe substantially more than ten thousand dollars, then then generally speaking, the IRS wants a financial statement. That's not true across the board, but it depends on your situation. And now it gets a little bit more complicated. But you need to now when you're talking about a final notice letter, Bob, that final notice of intent to levy and notice of your right to a hearing, then you must respond in writing within thirty days to request what's called a collection due process hearing. If you request a collection due process hearing, that creates a number of very important advantages for the taxpayer. First and foremost, it stops collection, right? They cannot levy so much as a postage stamp from the taxpayer when they've requested that hearing. All right, so that's number one. Number two, the case is transferred from the collection function to the appeals office. The written job description of the appeals office is to negotiate a settlement with the taxpayer. So that's definitely where you want to be in a collection situation. And then number three, the appeals office has to consider what are called collection alternatives. So in other words, the taxpayer has the advantage to, uh, has the advantage and opportunity of presenting a plan to the appeals office to get this resolved short of enforcement action. So that could be an, that could be an offer and compromise. It could be an installment agreement. It could be penalty relief. Any number of things. And then fourth, and perhaps most importantly, is the taxpayer has Judicial appeal rights, Bob, where you can go to tax court to challenge the IRS if you don't come up with a reasonable resolution at the appeals level. So this is a tremendous advantage for the taxpayer. It levels the playing field in every way, shape, and form and gives the taxpayer a lot of leverage to negotiate with the IRS that they otherwise don't have. So you have to understand your collection appeal rights when you're dealing with the agency. Dan's website's taxhelponline.com. You know, something I was thinking about, uh, very, very important, that if you've moved in the past two or three years that you uh, did uh, send the IRS a change of address. That could be a, a, a bad situation where you're not getting the notices. Oh, yeah, and, and people think counterintuitively when it comes to change of address. Why would I want the IRS to have <laughs> to my address? <laughs> I want to be off their mailing list, not on it. Right. No, no, no. You, no, you need to have a current address on file with the IRS. And if you move, then then get IRS Form 8822-8822. It's a change of address. Because, Bob, all they have to do is communicate with the taxpayer in writing at his last known address. Right? So right. if they mail stuff to your last known address and you don't get it, guess what? It's your fault, not theirs. So you have to have a current address on file with the IRS. Form 8822 is the way to do that. Once again, the name of the website, uh, lots of information in all of Dan's books, taxhelponline.com. Dan, always great talking to you. We'll talk to you next month. My pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. That you know, there's one thing that to be said for the IRS, and that you there is due process, there is 
uh, processes you can go to that do protect you as a taxpayer. And I don't think many people get that. Uh, it's just because there's such a fear factor if you're being contacted by the IRS. But there are things you can do. There are processes that you can go and then things that you have that are written into tax law that uh, can help you out in that situation that you do uh, get mixed up with where you're in collections with the IRS. The bottom line is if you're going to stay away from any collection situation, make it be the IRS. It's a tough one to go through. This is Bob Brooks. If you have a question for me, please go to the website at prudentmoney.com and send it in because we are all out of time. Till we do meet again next time, keep the faith and have a great rest of the day. That's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great information like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money.